0: So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, and so read God's word.
1: Uh, it's good to, uh, to be with you this morning. Uh, next week, uh, we will begin this series properly uh, called Being Human. This morning is a kind of a, a prelude, uh, a, uh, a week just to kind of set up why it is that we're going to be, to be looking at the, the book of Genesis for the next 14 weeks. By the time we are by the time we are done with Abraham, your Christmas tree will be up. We will be ready for our carol service. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the pumpkin spice lattes will be all drained to the dregs, and and we will be ready for for Christmas. Uh, and so this morning, what I wanted to do is I want to use our time probably slightly more briefly than uh, than usual, um, and some of you may be breathing a sigh of relief, um, to. To set up why it is that we should spend 14 weeks considering a guy and considering a part of the Bible that uh, is about events 4,000 years ago. How does a man like Abraham have any sort of relevance uh, for us here in 21st century Dublin? And that's why we read from Galatians because Galatians, which is a book in the New Testament, Paul thinks that Abraham is kind of important. Uh, he's kind of a big deal. Uh, and so Paul, when he writes in various letters in the book of uh, Romans or here in the book of Galatians, he's making an argument that actually Abraham matters. You need to know who Abraham is and what Abraham did because he matters for our own understanding of who God is and what it means to follow him and, uh, and what faith is like. Abraham thinks that he's important. Also the writer to the book of Hebrews, if you've ever read that book, towards the end of the New Testament in chapter 11, there is this, uh, there's this great lineup of, of people in the Old Testament who are... Uh, examples of faith. And Abraham is given the the longest section in chapter 11. The writer of Hebrews thinks that Abraham is important, that he did something that is worth us knowing as believers in Jesus. And so I want to draw some of those out, four of those out uh, for you this morning in order that you might come back next week thinking, yes, I am ready for 14 weeks. Of Abraham. Let's do it. Okay? So, first one Abraham is an example to us of faith in a world of unbelief. Abraham is an example of faith in a world of unbelief. Let me give you the story so far in the book of Genesis, because we're jumping in in chapter 12. If, by the way, you're wondering, why are we jumping in in chapter 12? Well, One of the things that I know that most of you don't know is that we actually did do chapters one to 11. Some people, I see you young nodding in the darkness. Uh, The year before COVID, we did do one to 11 and we called it being human. And I just, I thought, well, eventually we'll get back to it. But then COVID happened, but now here we are. So it it is a resumption of sorts. But for those of you who maybe weren't here back in late 2018, uh, Perhaps I should let you know what the story is so far. Well, pick up the the story from chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Genesis is the account of what we call the fall. The fall of humanity from that state of, of grace and perfect relationship with God the fracturing of relationships between the man and the woman, the fracturing of relationship between human beings and God, and the fracturing of relationship between humans and the, the rest of creation. That's really what Genesis 3 is, is all about, that chaos has entered our world in the form of the serpent. The serpent is an ancient image of chaos. And so when he slithers on into the garden, you know that chaos is coming. Chaos has come into our world and uh, and as a result of uh, human beings' treason against God and our choice to reject and rebel against him, that chaos has spread. And the chapters 4 to 11 of Genesis are a recounting of that spread. So, uh, quick, in your own mind, Bible quiz. So, uh, who are the two sons of Eve? Well, Eve gives birth to... Cain, right? Uh, And then after Cain is born, uh, she gives birth to Abel. And what happens to them? Well, Cain becomes the first murderer and kills his brother Abel. You go on uh, after Cain and Abel, you get a descendant of Cain, a fellow called Lamech, and Lamech says, I'm going to kill anybody who looks at me the wrong way. Anybody who disrespects me? they're going to be gone. He's the first mob boss of, uh, of humanity. And chapter five is, uh, I don't know if you've ever read Genesis chapter five, but Genesis chapter five is the first, first genealogy. I remember sitting down as a new Christian, I was 16 years old, and I said, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover. Genesis one to Revelation 22. Let's do this thing. Do you know how far I got? Genesis five. Do you know why? Because Genesis 5 is a long list of names. It's about somebody who begat another person, who begat another person, who had many other sons and daughters, and who lived to this age and then begat another person. But that's not really what's going on in Genesis chapter 5, because the thing that matters in Genesis chapter 5 is the repeated refrain all the way through the chapter and then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. died." See, it doesn't stick out to us because we've become kind of used and numb to death. But Genesis 5 really matters. Genesis 5 is the spreading of the curse throughout all of humanity, down the generations, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. You see a little blip actually in the middle. You find Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was not. Hmm. Then we get into the flood narrative and the flood story begins uh, with the divine assessment of all of humanity. And the divine assessment at the start of Genesis chapter 6 is this. That the thoughts of men's hearts, men and women, the thoughts of men's hearts was only evil all of the time. And God decides that he is going to start again. And do so through Noah and through his family, saving them over the waters of chaos. But even after the flood subsides, sin still persists. And it culminates in Genesis chapter 11 with the building of what we call the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel. And when we get to Genesis chapter 11... One of the movements that has occurred is that sin has spread from a family, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Lamech and his wives, on down, to what has happened by the time you get to Genesis chapter 11, is that sin has spread to a society. That all of humanity is coming together and saying, let's make our names great. Let's make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower and we're going to get back to God by scaling that tower. We don't need God's help. We can make our way back to him. It was a project that was conceived in and born out in pride. That's why God comes and he confuses the languages and scatters the Babel builders and the story is actually wonderfully full of irony. Uh, the, the Babel builders uh, say, let us, let us build a tower that reaches to the heavens. And so they stand up and they their necks are craned right back as they marvel at this huge ziggurat, this huge stepped pyramid that they have built. And then the narrative switches to God's perspective, and God says, Let us go down and see the tower that the men have built. So they're all craning up like that, and God comes down and goes, that's a nice tower. I see you. That's kind of gets to my toenail. Good tower, right? He scatters them because sin has spread to all of society and confuses their languages. And it is in the midst of that disorder and unbelief that God steps in in Genesis chapter 12. And Genesis chapter 12 is a major turning point in your Bibles. It is hugely important for understanding how it is that the Bible fits together because it is God's determination in Genesis chapter 12 to change the fortunes of humanity. And And he begins with Abraham. You won't know him when we get into it as Abraham Uh, for a good few chapters. He'll be called Abram or Abram, which means exalted father, which in itself is ironic because he is, when we meet him, childless. God calls this man and makes promises to him. And so starts God's redeeming work in all of mankind. And through the rest of the Bible, the story of Abram becomes an example of how to trust God in the midst of unbelief and chaos and personal trial. I mean, one of the things that we'll see next week is that Abram was, no, was nothing special. He didn't come from a, uh, from a background that worshipped the God of the Bible. He was living out in, in Iraq, In a place called Ur, he was worshiping the pagan gods of the day. And it was God who came and who spoke to him. And he took God at his word. Paul in our reading describes Abraham. Oh, by the way, on the reading, that was my bad. I should have said uh, Galatians 1 to uh, Galatians 3, 1 to 9. I didn't. I communicated 1 to 7. That's why the slides are wrong. But Kerriani was, she had me. She had my back. I appreciate that. Um, So, but if you have it open in front of you, then you'll know where it is. Paul in the reading describes Abraham as the man of faith in verse nine, right at the very end. So he says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now some wrongly think that faith is believing in things for which there is no evidence But that's not what faith is. And that's not what's going on with Abraham. And that's not what our faith is. No, faith, as we will see, is trust and reliance upon a God who speaks. It is taking God at his word. It is trusting his promises, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Abraham's faith isn't blind. It is grounded in who God is. It is grounded in the speaking God who speaks and who acts in history. And as a result, that faith grows over the course of his life, over the course of the the trials and tests that he faces, his faith grows and it deepens. It's not perfectly formed right at the beginning. So take heart. Take heart, particularly those who, those of you here who might be new to Christian things, who might be new in your faith. You think, oh, my, my faith isn't as deep, isn't as strong, isn't as clear as I would like it to be. Well, neither was Abraham's. And one of the things that we'll see over the next couple of months is his faith deepening and growing as he learns to take God at his word and to trust his promises. We learn about Abraham to learn how we should deepen our faith from the man of faith. Second, Abraham is both faithful and flawed. And that's a very good thing. Abraham is both faithful and flawed. I deliberately called the series Being Human because I think that Genesis is actually a case study of what humanity is like, what humanity has always been like. It is a study of human nature at its very core and essence. In the 4,000 years since Abraham, human civilization has, of course, developed. We have developed massively technologically. That's why, I guess, in part, it feels so foreign to read the Old Testament. Yet the thing that has not changed is what human beings are like. Human nature is still much the same. In the book of Genesis, People get resentful and angry, lustful and proud. They take matters into their own hands. They question the goodness of God. And Abraham, as we shall see, uh, will make a fairly terrible decision and then repent of it and realize that he was wrong. And then after a couple of chapters, do exactly the same thing again. Is that not relatable? When you've done your bargaining with God, when you realize, oh, that was I t- I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have made that decision. And so you go to God and go, do you know what, God, I was such an idiot. Would you please forgive me? And then you continue on down the, down the line, six months or a year or a couple of years. And then you realize that you've done the same thing again. Such it is with Abraham. this should be an encouragement to us because Abraham does not simply stand above us as an example to follow. He stands also alongside us as a flawed human being who is working out what it means to follow God. That's the thing. Abraham's not the hero of the story. God is. And Abraham stands alongside us encouraging us in our faith. And I guess in a sense, it's kind of looking at us going, here, do yourself a favor. Don't make the mistakes that I did. That's how Hebrews 11 kind of understands him. In Hebrews 11, the writer is encouraging the Christians to persist and to persevere in their faith. And that's why, he lists all of these examples of faith, whether it's, uh, whether it's Abraham or Moses or David or the prophets, because they're all standing in the sidelines now in glory, looking at you running your race. And they're saying, keep going. It's worth it. Persist. Keep the faith. Keep taking God at his word. Don't lose heart. Don't make mistakes that we did, but keep going. And that's why we study Abraham. Paul in the passage here. Uh, My hope is actually to to get to Galatians uh, before the the academic year is uh, is out. Um, But one of the things that's going on uh, in the letter to the Galatians is that Paul is perplexed that these young Christians think that even though God has, he's brought them to life, spiritually speaking, that they were dead, that he's brought them to life, that these Christians now stand there and go, we can take it from here. Thanks God. We can, uh, we can manage the rest of the the way on our own. Uh, We'll, uh, we'll keep all the laws and, do all the right things. And uh, yeah, we've got this. Thank you for getting us started, but we'll get ourselves to the end. They think that even though the spirit made them alive, that their, their flesh can, can keep them to the end, that their own strength is what is going to cause them to persevere in the Christian life. And Paul, all the way through Galatians, but particularly here in Galatians 3, is arguing no. It was never that way. That's so why he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who's, who's cast a spell over your mind that you think that even though God is the one who brought you to life, that you can then perfect your own faith by your own strength? He says, no, no, no. You can't, the flesh can't make you perfect. It's faith from beginning to end. It's faith all the way down. When you try to take matters into your own hands, That's when things go wrong, have you noticed that? And that's why he brings up Abraham, because as we shall see, every time Abraham tries to force God's hand, or to act like God by controlling a situation, that's when things go wrong. When Abraham starts to trust his flesh, that's when there's problems you ever experienced that so why do we learn about Abraham well we learn about Abraham to deepen our faith and to learn to turn from our flawed flesh to turn from that reliance on self and on our own strength because it is because that is not what will keep us to the end third we study Abraham because In the Abraham story, we see a God who always keeps his promises. That's our third point. God keeps his promises. Sometimes uh, the Old Testament can seem uh, pretty foreign to our ears. It's hard to conceive of. And so people mistakenly begin to think, well, maybe the God of the Old Testament is different to the God of the New Testament. Because the God of the Old Testament, well, he seems quite seems quite cold and quite harsh. He's a bit judgy. Whereas the God of the New Testament, well, the God of the New Testament, and it's, Jesus, is lovely. He's got nice hair. He's got a nice beard. And we can give him a hug. And he says, you know, to love one another. and uh, And so we think, well, there must be Must be two different, at least manifestations, of God going on between the two testaments. To think that way would be a mistake. When it comes to Abraham's flaws, to his sins, God is gracious and patient. Yes, he's corrective. He's gentle and kind to Abraham. There's even a point where Abraham very curiously is able to negotiate with God, to bargain with him. But more than that, what we will see is that in studying Abraham, We see a God who keeps his promises all the way through to the end. Next week, we'll begin Genesis 12. We'll study the first half. And it begins with right off the bat, God making these promises to Abram. And one of them is that God promises Abram that through his descendants, all of the nations of the world would be blessed. More details on that next week. And here in Galatians, Paul looks back at that promise and sees that it has been fulfilled. That it's been fulfilled in ways far beyond Paul's own imaginings. Fulfilled in ways that even the writers of the Old Testament could only glimpse and barely conceive of. That is, the promise made long ago to bless the nations is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. That Jesus would come, and as a result, faith, faith that makes us right with God, faith that forgives our sins, that restores our humanity, that that faith would not be limited to one ethnic group, but to all people. So when God back in Genesis 12 says, through you I'm going to bless the nations, well, what's the blessing? The blessing is that through his descendant, Jesus, all nations would have access to the God who made them. That it's a restoring of all things. And so Paul looks back and goes, God's always kept his promises. God was faithful to that promise to bring blessing to the nations and he's done it through his son, the descendant of Abraham according to the flesh. That he has saved every tribe and tongue and people. And so if God keeps his promises on down the millennia, then perhaps we can begin to see that God has proven his faithfulness. And that matters a great deal for you right now. Because one of the things that happens to us every now and again is that we doubt the faithfulness of God. We doubt the goodness of God. We doubt that God will be God to us. We think that perhaps he has rejected us. One of the things that the Bible encourages us to do is to look back at God's past faithfulness that he keeps his promises and to use that to steal and to strengthen your faith now. That's a really good reason for why we're spending 14 weeks looking at Abraham. We learn about Abraham to deepen our faith, to turn from our flawed flesh, And to trust the promise-keeping God. Fourth, and finally, we study the the book of Abraham, we study Abraham in the book of Genesis because salvation is the same. Because salvation is the same. This is another disconnect uh, between what people assume about the Old Testament and the New Testament. People assume that in the Old Testament, you were, you were saved, that is made right with God, by keeping God's law. In Genesis, you'll hear uh, talk about things like circumcision. Now uh, We get that in the next 14 weeks. Congratulations. Look, You're looking forward to it. Uh, but the circumcision is a sign of god 's promises that so that became a that became a marker of your faithfulness to God, keeping his laws, food laws, the sacrificial system. People look at the Old Testament and think in the Old Testament, you were saved by your good works as long as you did the good things, God saved you. but people find that quite hard, and so in the New Testament again, Jesus comes with lovely hair, hugging lambs, being all nice, that sort of thing what he said uh, what he said was That's all really hard. Why don't I just do it and I'll give you my grace? People think that that's what's what's going on. In the Old Testament, you're saved by works. In the New Testament, you're saved by faith. That's not right. It's wrong. That's not how it works. And one of the things that we will see from Abraham is that it's the same in both Testaments. God saves those who trust in him. And it has been thus forever. God hasn't changed the mode of salvation just because Jesus came. Now, Jesus is the culmination, as we will see. It's all faith. It's all Jesus' grace. It is not law-keeping. And that's one of the things that we're going to see in the story of Abraham that it will teach us that salvation has always been by faith, that God has always been a God who shows grace and mercy to those who trust his promises. In the New Testament, this is, this is perhaps the key lesson that the New Testament writers want us to learn from studying the life of Abraham. So Paul again, who wrote Galatians and Romans, brings it up in Romans 4 and here in Galatians 3 and asks the question, how did Abraham get right with God? How was Abraham saved? Was it by his actions? Was it by the things that he did? Was it by circumcision that matters? Not because I just want to say the word circumcision all the time, but because uh, that's that's what was in the kind of in the um, the ancient Jewish mind that because Abraham did what was required—that is, circumcised himself in his flesh and in that of his descendants—that that's what made him right with God, and so. Paul brings up the question, well, was it that? Was it that that saved him? And Paul makes the case that that is a misunderstanding. But no. Circumcision, as we will see, as a sign of God's faithfulness was instituted in Genesis chapter 17. But two chapters earlier, God reiterates his promises To Abraham. And we are told in Genesis 15, and this is what Paul quotes here in Galatians 3, that Abraham believed God and it was counted, credited, reckoned to him as righteousness. This, folks, should blow your hair back. This is the dynamite verse. It's one of the most important concepts for understanding how God relates to humanity. That before Abraham ever did anything moral in God's sight, he trusted God's promise and God declared him innocent. That is what Paul is getting at here in Galatians 3 and in Romans 4. Listen to what Paul says. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He said, did you become a Christian because you were a moral person? Did God save you and set his love upon you because you, were, uh, you did good things? I was no. Those things happened because you trusted the promises of God. That's how it's always been. And how do we know? Abraham. It's hugely important to spend our time studying and learning about Abraham. Abraham believed God. No works, no moral goodness, no religion, religious action, faith alone. And what did God do? God counted his faith as righteousness. Now, that's, we wouldn't normally talk that way. So, what does that mean? That is, that trust in God caused God to declare Abraham righteous, innocent in his sight. Now, those of you who are well caffeinated and have your brain switched on this morning, you might ask, well, what about all of Abraham's flaws? What about Abraham's sins? What happened to them? The sacrificial systems did not, did not do anything? What happened to Abraham's sins? You know the answer? The cross of the Lord Jesus. Where were Abraham's sins paid for? Where were David's? Where were Moses's? Where were Elijah's? Where were Isaiah's? Or Isaiah's, if you're American. Where were those sins paid for? They were paid for at the cross of the Lord Jesus. The sacrifices of the Old Testament never made anyone innocent or took away anyone's sins. That's another argument made by the book of Hebrews. So the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Why? Because you're not a bull or a goat. It's not a fair trade. They could never take away sins. They were only pointers. They themselves were promises that would also be fulfilled by the promise-keeping God in his son, the Lord Jesus. So here's one of the things you need to realize about the death of Jesus on the cross, is that it works backwards as well as forwards. That on that Good Friday, Abraham had his sin paid for at the very same moment that you did, those of you who are trusting in him. As a result, that is why Paul can then say that we share the same faith as Abraham. Abraham. Abraham was, in a sense, peering at shadows down the corridor of time. That's why his faith is actually so mind-blowing. Abraham didn't didn't have any Bible. Abraham didn't have Jesus to look back to. He's he's straining with the eyes of faith to, to glimpse what it is that God is doing. Again, Hebrews 11 tells us that. He's saying that Abraham was looking to a better city whose architect and builder is God. But it was all shadowy for him. We are in a blessed position that we actually see with greater clarity now the unfolding promises of God. So if Abraham, the man of faith, could trust the shadows, the wisps of mist that he could perceive through the corridors of time, Would you not trust him who has spoken in his most excellent word? Would you not trust him as you look back at the cross of the Lord Jesus? It is the same faith because the object of that faith is ultimately the same. That is why in Galatians 3, Paul makes this argument that the descendants of Abraham are not those who share Abraham's DNA, not those who share his ethnicity, but those who share his faith. So one of the reasons why we study the book of Genesis and and read about Abraham is because that history is our history. It's our history by faith. We are, spiritually speaking, descendants of Abraham because we trust the same God. We trust the promises fulfilled in Jesus, laid down in the book of Genesis. Why do we learn about Abraham? To deepen our faith, to turn from our flawed flesh, and to trust in the promise-keeping God who saves us all. By faith in jesus see you next week
0: thank you for listening to this week's sermon if you found this helpful or want to know more about city church dublin please visit our website found in the link below